right, well, let's uh, get together. Come on in, and we're going to get started. Brian Treadwell, come on in. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get started. Let me record here. Okay. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful that we can come here and uh, continue to study through our confession as it's a reflection of what we believe the scriptures to teach, a systematic way in which we can study uh, theology, study you, and uh, be- so we can better worship you. So it would help us today as we seek to to learn more about uh, the doctrine of justification. And uh, may you be glorified and always say and do. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so we are continuing our study on chapter 11. We're in chapter 11 on justification for our confession of faith. So turn with me to chapter 11. Just to remind us where we are in the confession. Uh, We can break the confession into four areas. First principles the covenant, God-centered living, and then the world to come. So we're in the section dealing with the covenant, which deals with chapters 7 through 20. And the section in particular where we're looking at is dealing with God's actions or his blessings towards us. These are what we would call his monergistic work. In other words, he's the one who works these things in us. So we saw in chapter 10, the effectual call, right? Like into regeneration. Now it's justification, Following that would be adoption and sanctification. These are things he does in us. These are his works. And then following that in the next chapters we'll see is our response to his work. So the outline for chapter 11, we're looking at the nature of justification in paragraph 1. The instrument of justification in paragraph 2. And my goal is to get through those two paragraphs today. We'll then see the basis of our justification. The timing of justification the ongoing fruit of justification, and then paragraph six is the justification of Old Covenant believers. So we talked about last time that justification is really one of the central doctrines that was recovered uh, from the Reformation. It was justification by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Can, Can you remember what does justification mean? What does it mean? Okay, yeah. Imputed righteousness. Okay. What is what is it broadly speaking, we can say? To make just. To make just, yeah. Yeah, so it's a it's a legal declaration. So we want to think courtroom setting, right? This is a courtroom setting. All the evidence is before the judge of the universe. The judge looks at us, the gauntlet comes down, and the verdict comes in not guilty, but just justified, righteous. Um, How can that happen if we are sinners, right? God demands absolute perfection. And so this doctrine of justification by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone is very crucial for us to understand. It deals with how are we accepted before the God of the universe? How can God accept us into heaven? How can we be made right with God? 
Right, it deals with the question, if you were to die today, you know, where would you go and why? What is the basis? Is it, well, I think I was a good person? Or, well, am I good, well, am I bad? Absolutely not. The doctrine of justification tells us it's only on the basis of Christ's work. Are you resting in his work or not? That's the basis in which we are justified. We talked about Luther said this is the article or the pillar on which the church stands or falls. This is, this is huge. This is massive. R.C. Sproul says, if we lose justification, we lose Christianity. If you do not have the doctrine of justification by faith alone, you don't have the gospel. Okay, this is, this is, uh, this is very crucial for us to understand. Um, and so, it deals with the question, how can a sinner be made right with God? It, is this some, um, you know, fiction? Is it, how does this work? And so this has led the Catholic Church and others to say, well, it's because God is working righteousness in us, and it's based on the righteousness he works in us that he declares us righteous. And the Reformation was very much counter to that. Um, the chief doctrine of justification here is what distinguishes us from Roman Catholics. Um, Roman Catholics would say in their canons, Canon 9, if anyone would say that a sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate, um, they would go on to say, uh, let him be anathema. Okay. Justification, as we said, is a legal declaration. It's a forensic concept. It's the opposite of condemnation. It's the opposite of being declared guilty. It's this courtroom verdict which God says justified. It's a one-time declaration that happens, and this happens at the onset of the believer's uh, Christian experience. Right? So this is something that God declares when you believe in Jesus, and it's something that does not go back on. From, from justification will flow all these other blessings that come out. So we're dealing with that question, how can a sinner be declared justified? Proverbs 17, he who justifies the wicked or condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. And we know if we're justified, we are the ones who are wicked. How can, how can we make sense of that in light of what God's doing? And the answer is in Jesus. So paragraph one is dealing with the overall concept of justification. It's summing it up. What is the doctrine of justification that we believe? And then what we see as we flush out the rest of the paragraphs, they're kind of going to revisit some of these things we see in paragraph one, but they flow out of it. So if there's some things we see in paragraph one, we don't go in fully in depth. We're going to as the rest of the paragraphs continue. So let's just read it, and then we'll dig into that again. I think last time we stopped about halfway. So my goal is to finish this paragraph and... Paragraph 2. I don't know if we'll finish both, but that's the goal. So let's look at paragraph 1. It says, Those whom God effectually calls, he also freely justifies, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins, and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience in his death and or for their whole and soul righteousness. They receiving and resting on him, and his righteousness is by faith, which faith they, didn't, they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. Okay, so a lot in there. 
um, in that first paragraph. And notice the relationship with the effectual call, and we brought this out last time. Um, The effectual call is what we saw in chapter 10, right? It's in light of regeneration, right? God is the one who calls us. God is the one who applies that work. He's the one who makes us alive, right? We can't come to faith until we have been made alive, right? And so if faith, if we're justified by faith, right? So we need faith in order to be justified, it assumes we must be effectually called beforehand, right? So we see the close relationship between the effectual call and justification. The same group that will be effectually called is the same group who will be justified. Um, Only those who are effectually called will be freely justified. Um, And so this justification we also see is God's work, right? God effectually calls, he also freely justifies. He's the one who is the judge. He's the one who declares the legal verdict, and he does so freely, right? Not because we've done anything to deserve it, not because his hand's tied and he's like, oh, well, I I guess I have to do that now. Um, He does it freely, right? And it'll go on to say that this is a gift. Um, Romans 3, for all of sin falls short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Or Romans 8.30, we call this the golden chain. Those whom he predestined, he called, right? Effectually called. Those whom he effectually called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. This is the chain that God is working to save us, to redeem us and draw us and to, to heaven. The golden chain, once it starts, right? In predestination, God's going to accomplish it all in time and space, So once you're called, effectually, you will be justified because you will come to faith. Okay, So regeneration precedes, uh, we can say, justification here because we need faith in order to be justified. Faith is assumed here, right? And the reason we don't see faith after chapter 10, which, you know, would be we're made alive and then we have faith, is because the organizers of the confession just organized it Here's God's work, and then man's response, right? So man's response will follow, right? The first thing is faith. And so we'll see that later on, I believe, let's see, chapter chapter 15 uh, deals with repentance and faith. So we'll see, we'll see what that looks like. Uh, 14 and 15, faith and repentance. So that's coming. That's man's response to God's work. Okay, notice... What then is the basis of our justification? And this is then uh, spelled out in three denials and three affirmations. And the language that is used here is very much likened to the language that the Catholic Church used during that time because they want to say, this is very clearly what we are not saying. We are not saying what the Catholic Church says. So these denials are, are really dealing with these Roman Catholic views and others who would say, You know, this justification, their main objection was, oh, it's just a legal fiction. God can't declare someone righteous unless they intrinsically are, unless he's working righteousness in them. Uh, And this here, uh, the Reformation uh, reformed would uh, very much deny. Um, It's not on the basis of us. It's not on the basis of works done in us. Um, And what we see here is very much a crucial understanding of law-gospel distinction Covenant works, covenant grace really helps us understand this representation of Christ. If we have an idea of federal headship, Christ represented us, 
He, he represented us by his righteous life and his suffering that he did for us on the cross to forgive us of our sins. Right? If we have that category of representation, we can see how justification very much makes sense. It's not a legal fiction. Right? And so that's why these categories are super crucial. Eliminate those, you blur things together. You get gospel, And that's not what we want. Uh, Luther and the Reformers uh, would say this righteousness that we get isn't something that's mixed in us. It's not infused. It's not dwelt, coming up from us, but it's an alien righteousness, meaning it's, it comes from outside of us. It comes from someone not, who, who is not a sinner like us. And uh, this is saying it comes from outside of ourselves. Namely, it comes from Jesus. Okay, so notice these affirmations and denials. Um, and each of these denials deny, or each of these things are that the Baptist wrote to deny that justification is based on anything within the believer himself. It's fully on resting in Christ. Notice these things. Not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and accounting and accepting their persons as righteous. So not by infusion. This is the wording of the Catholic Church. So instead of infusion, what do we have? Accounting, right? Accounting or to, to count. To, to, you know, we have the idea of, of these uh, accounts, right? And it's putting it into our account. So he counts this. He declares this. Uh, Roman Catholics believe that through the sacraments, God is actually infusing righteousness into you. And based on those things, he's working out personal righteousness within. And on that basis, God accepts you as righteous because he's making you that way. What does that sound like? Sounds like a works religion, right? But it also, you know, if God is changing us, Right? If God is working things in us, which he does, right? that's not justification, is it? That's sanctification. Sanctification, we're growing and we're becoming more and more to the image of Christ. And it's through the means of grace that he, he definitely does that. He grows us and he makes us righteous through that. But it's not by infusing righteousness. It, it's, by, it's by moving us uh, through the different things that the means of grace do and in so doing, that's what we call sanctification. We're moving more and more into the image of Christ. We're being made different. We're being actually made righteous, right? Um, we're not righteous in God's sight based on our good deeds, but we're becoming more and more to the conformity of Jesus, right? And so the doctrine of justification here is denied to say, um, the Baptists are saying we deny that any kind of Righteousness in and of ourselves, infusing of righteousness is the basis by which God justifies. Um, it's not by infusing it. And I gave the illustration of infusing, you know, think of milk and then your chocolate Ovaltine, you put it together and you sprinkle in the Ovaltine and you stir it together and that's like infusing that in there. It's making a new substance, right? And the Catholics would say that's what God does with these graces. He infuses righteousness in us so we are now a new thing. We're intrinsically righteous and that's how God accepts us. But based on the representation of Christ, based on his federal headships, that's how the reform said we're, we're actually considered righteous. Notice, not by infusing righteousness, but by pardoning of our sins and accounting and accepting their persons as righteous. So it's not because we personally are, right? We're still sinners, 
our best deeds are filthy rags, even though we've been regenerated, right? We are not declared righteous or accepted before God based on anything we do. It's fully on the work of Christ. And because we are sinners and God demands absolute perfection, we need to have our sins forgiven. So it says, how does it happen? We, well, we need our sins pardoned. So he justifies us. When we're declared righteous, it's because our sins have been pardoned, right? Our sins have been pardoned. Uh, not because, you know, he just swept them under the carpet. Not because he just looked the other way or just said, I forgive you. No, it's because someone took the debt in our place. In other words, there's the account. We, get, we are accounted or counted as righteous. He gets our sin placed on him. He paid for it. Um, in Romans 4, Paul is speaking of righteousness. He says, What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but is due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts as righteous apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Okay, so there we see that accounting kind of of language there. Uh, Our sins are pardoned because God is actually dealing with them in the person of Christ. And we're accounted as and accepted in our person as righteous. Ephesians 1 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Okay? For our sake, 2 Corinthians 5, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So, He takes our sin, we take his righteousness, and it's this glorious exchange that is there. Um, Jesus was put forward, as Romans 3 says, as a propitiation, right, to satisfy the wrath of God, and we are to receive forgiveness um, as we place our faith in him. And God can then be the just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. So payment for sin is satisfied in Christ, His righteousness is credited to our account. Our sin was credited to him, and it is paid in full. The resurrection assures that. Okay? So, not by infusing righteousness, not by working us up and making us righteous are we declared righteous. Notice also it says, not for anything wrought in them, done by them, but for Christ's sake alone. So, in other words, it's saying, look, you contribute in no way to your justification. There's nothing you do that contributes to your standing before God. Not anything. Well, what about that 1%? Christ did 99%, but then I did the one. Not anything. 100% Christ's work. Um, 1 Corinthians 1. Because of him you are in Christ, Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If we recognize who we are in Christ Jesus, right, he gets all the glory. You're going to worship him if you realize how you've been accepted before God based on his work. Romans 5, Paul brings up this idea here uh, about the one man's trespass, the representation, 
language, right? Through one man, we receive death. But through the life of one man, Jesus Christ, we get the righteousness. As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to what? Justification, right? Speaking of Christ's active obedience, his perfect life. By his obedience, we're made righteous because he's representing us uh, as the perfect man, right? God says, be holy for I am holy. Jesus does it on our behalf. Again, look at the next denial. Not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ's active obedience to the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and soul righteousness. Okay, so it's not by imputing faith itself, right? He doesn't just impute faith and say, okay, there you are, you have faith, now you're righteous. It's not the act of believing that makes us righteous, right? Nor any other evangelical obedience, right? So this means, right, legal obedience or law obedience, do this and live, would be to earn merit, right? To earn God's favor. We think covenant works, do this and live, right? That's legal obedience, Evangelical obedience is what we say is gospel obedience, right? It's in light of us being saved, we then obey, right? It's the third use of the law, right? No longer are, is the law there to show us here's what God requires. It is, but now it's to show us here's the way of the Christian to live, right? Out of love and gratitude based on what Christ has done, so live in him, so obey. And it says it's based on that, there's no justification. Justification is not on the basis of your act of gratitude and obedience. There's no basis in of ourselves for justification. Our good deeds, in light of the faith we have, are the fruit of justification, not the root of justification. It's not the cause, right? So then how are we considered righteous if it's not done by anything in us, if it's not by making us righteous, but by imputing Christ's active obedience to the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and soul righteousness. So here the Baptists are very particular. We want to emphasize the imputation of Christ's active and passive obedience. Right? Active obedience, passive obedience. Right? We talked about that when we dealt with Christ the mediator and his work. What was he actually doing? How did he actually achieve our salvation? Well, he didn't just merely die on the cross, though he did, but he also lived a perfect life for us. Right? His passive obedience is removing the curse of the law from us. Right? Because the wages of sin is death, because we have sinned, that's what we deserve. So Jesus comes as our sinless, spotless lamb, as our representative. He bears the curse of the law upon himself. He goes to the cross. He dies a sinner's death in our place. The wrath of God is satisfied. Our debt is canceled. We receive forgiveness. Right? And so that is a glorious thing. But if that's all he did, we're morally neutral. The, the slate is wiped clean at zero. But what's required for heaven is, is righteousness. Right? So that's why he had to live a perfect life. That's why he had to die, or he had to live in obedience to the law. He is actively meriting the blessings of the covenant, the do this and live. By his perfect obedience to the law, he is meeting the standard God requires for us for entrance into heaven. It's be holy for I am holy. Be perfect for I am perfect. 
Uh, Jesus did that as our representative. So not only are we forgiven, we're declared absolutely righteous. There's nothing you can do to add to it. There's nothing you can do to earn more favor in God's eyes or lose it if you're resting in Christ. Christ accomplished it perfectly. He meets all the legal demands of the law. He merits the blessings of the covenant. right? And if you want to think of an illustration, Paul, if, if you were to say, okay, well, if anyone could have earned their salvation, it probably would have been Paul. Right? And he says that in Philippians 3. He said, look at all the things I've done. Look, if I was going in accordance to the law, right, I was a good Jew. I, I did all that the Torah said. I was circumcised. I, I, I obeyed all these things. He says in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss. All that righteousness, loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish. All my good deeds, rubbish, manure, in order that I might gain Christ. To be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul got it. That's justification. He's resting in the work, the finished work of Christ. He says in Ephesians 2, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we do good works, right? Not to contribute to our justification, not to maintain our justification. We do good works because we've been justified. It's the fruit. Justification, we're declared righteous perfectly in God's sight because everything Christ did for us, we do nothing to deserve it. So who gets the glory? It's God. It's Christ. Right? It says... Uh-huh. Got some work to do, huh? <laughs> Notice what else. They receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith. Here that he defines what faith is. This is crucial. Faith is, as we're going to see in the next paragraph, the instrument of justification. Now, I'm just going to leave it at that because we'll deal with it next paragraph. But faith is resting and receiving him. Faith is not faithfulness. Faith is receiving and resting and trusting in Christ. It's faith also is not just believing the facts. Faith is complete dependence and trust in Him. Christ is our only hope. He is our only acceptance before God. Our dependence rests fully on Him. Notice again, Paul, to just emphasize that, um, will bring out, well, I already quoted this, but it's, Good to hear it again. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not your own doing. Confession goes on. Which faith they have not of themselves, it's the gift of God. So yes, faith is required, but faith itself isn't a work that's done within us. It's something that God has done in us by regenerating us. And he, he brings us to the response of faith. That's the, regen, the fruit of the, his regener, regenerative work in us. Therefore, faith doesn't even regener, originate with us, but God. It's a gift. 
So we have no reason to boast. We have no reason to try to say, hey, you know, we, uh, we maintained our justification or we stayed in our justification or, or we earned it in any way. God is the source of, of your faith. He's the source of your justification. You just need to rest in Jesus. So faith is not self-generated. It's a gift. It's given. Uh, John 1, 12, But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Romans 5, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life of the one man, Jesus Christ. Again, faith is a gift. You've been saved through faith, but it's a gift that God gave. No works that you do. Faith is not a work. Faith is required, but it's something God gives. He brings us about. So if we see any of our works of obedience, even if it's evangelical obedience out of love and gratitude, as a basis before our acceptance with God, we're confusing justification and sanctification. And that is crucial that we distinguish. John Murray said this, If justification is confused with regeneration or sanctification, then the door is open for the perversion of the gospel. That happens more often than you think, because we're not careful. One person said, The one who rejects the antithesis of law gospel, along with the distinction between covenant works and covenant grace, it will directly influence their view of justification. So as we flush that out, we're going to see how that comes about. Any questions on paragraph one before we look at paragraph two? Ellie? It's not a perfect illustration, but it's helpful for me. Um, so Roman Catholic Church would teach that uh, we need to be, um, so picture us the milk, Okay. We're full sin. Or maybe you can picture, uh, it's not a, never mind. Um, <laughs> picture milk, okay? And just picture that milk is just um, sin, right? And the Ovaltine is righteousness God pours in it. Well, as the righteousness is poured into that and stirred and the substance becomes a new substance, right? It's the, the uh, Catholics would actually say, Um, that infusion of righteousness is actually making that person now righteous. So like Ovaltine makes it a different thing. It's no longer just milk. It's chocolate milk. Chocolate milk is better than regular milk. (laughs) But um, because it's it's, uh, a new thing, that's the basis God can declare one righteous, is what the Catholic Church would say. He's infusing it in them. So a picture, a right picture, would be a glass of milk Yeah, something like that. Luther gave a picture of this. He said, picture a pile of manure. That's you. And he says, when the snow falls, it covers it. And it makes it white and pretty. But it doesn't change the fact that it's still a manure. And he says, that's what Christ's robe of righteousness is like. It covers us and, and makes us acceptable. Not really acceptable. It's still an imperfect illustration. But it's something like, like that. Uh, the robes that we are covered with Christ, it's 
God sees not us in our sin. He sees Jesus. And based on that, he says righteous. Not because we intrinsically are. Right? We're still that manure pile. But because we're covered by Christ. And you know, to further your illustration, the old team would be what you do at the Catholic Church, which is confession to the Father, uh-huh. penance, sacraments, etc. Right. That you're going to, even the last rites, if you're going to die, a priest will come in and sign of the cross on you. It's, it's, it's a progression that you're continually right. doing. And there are some that are so devoted, they're there every day. Or we can look at Martin Luther, where the priest finally said, Come on, you've been here for three hours, and you just came back 45 minutes later, confession right. sins again. Right. Right, very much, yeah. That's what they say. That's, those are your good works that's being done is when you participate in those things, the sacraments. Reason? Real quick on the gift of faith, it was resting and what? In resting and receiving, okay. yeah. Faith is resting and receiving. So very different than faithfulness. Faithfulness is obedience. Right? That's not the basis of our justification. Um, I'm not that familiar with the Catholic religion, so um, help me out here. They don't have any concept of Christ being our fellow representative. They're not thinking in those terms. Right, they're not thinking in those terms. That's why they say it's a legal fiction for him to declare someone righteous who intrinsically isn't. So in their mind, if he's going to declare you righteous, it's because in some way you have to be righteous. Do good works, yeah. Do good works that merit some kind of righteousness, yeah. Okay, but it seems like they've gone to mass or whatever because they recognize that they sin, and then they're infused with this so they won't sin, but you'd still end up with this, you know, your good, your good deeds are outweighing exactly. your, your bad deeds. So really what they're doing, deed, yeah. yeah, really what they're doing, and that's why they say you have to keep coming back and doing this. That's where they get them. Well, you came and did this. You were baptized. You did confession. That wiped the slate clean. But the minute you go back and have that lustful thought or whatever, that sin, you've got to come back. And that's what keeps the, the wheels turning or the cash coming in. Because they live and say, like, hey, you know, these indulgences, God's very gracious to you. He discounted them. Yeah, you still have to pay for it, but they're discounted. And it's such a gracious thing that he discounted. But just, just buy it. Just pay for it. And so it's almost like you're paying for righteousness. And in their mind, they feel that they have to be righteous in and of themselves in order for a right standing with God. That's why there's so much doubt. Because it's going back, well, how do you know? Well, have I sinned the last time I was at confession before, after that or whatever? Um, and so in their mind, if one's going to be justified, they have to be made intrinsically justified. So that grace, really those works that they're doing by coming, doing all those things, uh, they think is contributed to their righteousness. A lot of other false religions do that, right? Mormon church, the reason they go out and witness and do these things is that's a work that they're doing to become little gods. So there, uh, a lot of times you'll see prayers to like St. Jude. How does that play in? Are they borrowing from somebody else's righteous account? I don't, I don't know entirely for that. I know that 
there are times they feel, well, Christ is the tough guy and, you know, we need to pray for an, through another saint who's closer to us that um, he can go on that behalf and, you know, plead for Christ. Um, and that's what people do with Mary. Well, Mary, Mary is the mother of Jesus, so she, he has to listen to her. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of things that happen with that that not good. You know, I think... Forgot who said it, but there's you know two religions in this world: the religion of human achievement and the religion of what Christ has done, resting in Him. Okay, let's briefly look at um, paragraph two. We'll come back to this probably next time. This is dealing with the instrument of justification, or we can think of it the tool of justification. Look at paragraph two: faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness, is the alone or your translation might say, the sole instrument of justification. Yet it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with every other saving grace, and is no, no, not a dead faith, but works by love. So again, notice how faith is described, receiving and resting. Faith is not faithfulness. Faith is receiving and resting. Faith is the empty hand that takes uh, what Christ gives what does he give is active, passive righteousness. Uh, that's to be received by faith, right? And it says, by resting on Christ and his righteousness, that's the alone instrument. Faith isn't just one of many instruments. It's the only one, right? It's not faith in our faithfulness. It's not faith in our good deeds. It's not faith and penance. It's faith alone. Um, there's no merit or work. It's the empty hand. Faith is understanding, believing, trusting in Jesus. It's not just ascending to facts, right? Oh, Jesus was a historical person. I believe this. It's actually living your life, resting and trusting him, depending on him. Uh, It's not the same as any other outward kind of obedience, but receiving and resting on the righteousness of Christ. Um, Again, it says that's the only instrument. That's the alone instrument. And this is really where the Reformation pinned its flag, faith alone, right? Because the Catholic Church says, yeah, you need faith, for sure. You need faith in Jesus, but you also need your good works. You also need your good deeds. You also need your penance. You need these things. And, and their, their, their conundrum that they're faced with is, well, if you, you only tell someone they're saved by faith alone, then that's going to give license to licentious living, and they're going to live however they want. Easy believism, Right? And that's, that's an objection that the Roman Catholic Church has been throwing up for a long time. And in fact, Paul anticipated that. And he says uh, later on, um, he'll say, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right, if you're preaching the gospel accurately, grace alone through faith alone, Christ alone, that should be the accusation you get. You're just saying we can live however you want. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean that you do that, that you just abound in sin. How can we who died into sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised uh, from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So that's why they add this caveat. It's by faith alone, but this faith is never alone. But the justification is by faith alone. right? It's not on the basis of your works. Faith is not um, just a instrument of justification. Faith is the alone instrument in justification. Now, when we say instrument, I want you to think vehicle. I want you to think 
um, the tool by which we receive something. Right? So faith is the, the vehicle that takes us to Jesus to receive what he has for us. Right? It's that empty hand that clings to the cross. It's not, faith is not the basis for our justification. It's not the cause for our justification. It's the instrument. It's the tool that helps us receive it. Right? So it's not our faith and our works. It's not our faith and our faithfulness. It's faith alone. Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Here, faith is implied. Osmond? What do we separate knowing that we don't bring anything to our salvation, with, which we all agree that we don't? You know, we are a dirty rat, as, you know, as Paul says, but how do we separate um, works versus our responsibility that God has given us here? Like, because they might be the same type of work, but it has to be looked at correctly. Right. right. We still have responsibility to be sought in light of. Right. Which is a work. It's still a work. Right. Our responsibility is still a work. Right. So our justification is not based on that at all. Right. So I'm, the question is now what? Right. I'm asking about the now what portion. We right. did say we know that it's not because of us. Obviously, we don't bring anything to it. Mm-hmm. But we still have responsibility. Right. But it contributes no way to your standing before God. Mm-hmm. So past that, the now what portion of this, we still have responsibility to... Right. And that's the second part of the paragraph. Just as faith isn't alone. It does good deeds. Right. That's the same thing Paul was saying, oh, well, so you're just saying we just let go and flop and do nothing? Well, absolutely not. If you're truly regenerated, you're going to exhibit fruit. Right. And so that's where responsibility comes in. And in no way does that contribute to your justification. Right. There is no initial, there is no final justification. There's just justification, period. Um, and so one of the critiques of faith alone is to say, yeah, well, then people are just going to lead to licentious living. And this was, to the, to the Reformation, this was Rome's counter-Reformation. And Paul anticipated that. He anticipates the accusation because he's preaching the gospel clearly. We should anticipate that objection if we're preaching the gospel clearly. So we know, you know them by their fruit, right? So the next paragraph, yet, a, yet it is not alone in the person justified, right? Justification's already happened. But, that, but faith is ever accompanied with all of the other, every other saving grace and is no, not a dead faith but works by love. So we are justified by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, but that faith is never alone. Faith is always accompanied with the fruit of good deeds. Um, again, our good deeds, our responsibility is not the root of our justification, it's the fruit. And that is where many have gone wrong. Uh, it, this isn't easy believism, just make a decision, come to faith, and then live however you want. No, you, if you're truly saved, if you truly have faith, that's, you're made new. You've died to sin, so you don't still live in it. Right? Paul would say in Galatians 5, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul would say in, in Ephesians 2, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared 
beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are called for good works. We are called for duties, right? That's why there's so much of the epistles in the New Testament that says, here's what you're to do, right? But what is that rooted in? In light of you being justified, in light of you being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone, now here's your response. Here's the fruit, right? And James and Paul, right? This is one of the things we're going to see in James in chapter 2. He would go on to say, so faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead, right? And so the confession here is picking up on what James is saying. James is not using justification the exact same way Paul is, and that's where many have erred too, right? He is saying uh, vindication, right? He is saying we know someone's faith is real by looking at their works. And James gives a proof text. He says, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Well, What's his proof text that he goes to? Well, he, he goes to Genesis 22. We know Abraham's faith was real because he offered up Isaac as a sacrifice. It was fruit of his faith. But was it the basis of his faith? It, was it the cause of him being justified? No. That happened in Genesis 15 when he was declared righteous. And that's why Paul would go on to say in his proof text, consider Abraham. He was justified by faith alone. He was declared righteous apart from works, right? So they're, they're saying, they, they, they agree. They're just arguing for two different things. Paul is saying, here's how I know you're saved. Or Paul is saying, here's how you are saved by faith in Jesus. James is saying, here's how we know your faith is real. And this is accompanied with every, all the other saving graces. So in other words, sanctification, all this stuff's going to flow in light of your faith, in light of true faith. So, we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, but that faith is never alone. Cosman? So, it's an error to fall on, on, in, on, on one ditch, so to speak, uh, to do all of these things thinking that we'll be saved if, we, if, we're, you know, if we're more like God and you know, somehow we save ourselves. Or, but, or maintaining it. Or maintain it, yes. But the opposite, falling on the other side of the ditch, is also true where to make sure that we don't do any works, we can fall in this, well, uh, you know, sort of just kind of resting the whole time. And a fear that we don't do anything by works, you know, bringing you know, any glory to ourselves, we're sort of paralyzed in some way where we don't, it's kind of not that useful. Yeah, I would say, what are the works that we're ascribed to do, right? In light of that, salt and light, what is the mission of the church, right? And how is that supposed to do? And, and yeah, we are called, just by living your normal Christian life, you will counter the culture, right? If you're just being a good husband, good father, raising your kids in the ways of the Lord, you don't have to go out seeking a battle. The battle will come to you. You will stand out if you're doing that faithfully, right? And so as you do that, right, the whole... That, the whole idea in Ephesians, put on the armor of God, is so that you stand. Stand, because the battle's coming. So be prepared. And so that's part of the fruit, right? Paul roots the, the, the armor in light of the gospel, in light of your justification, in light of your faith. Now stand. So yeah, those are good things that we are called to do. And easy believism would just say, oh, just come to Jesus out of get out of jail free card, get out of hell free fire insurance. And then it doesn't matter how you live. But that's, yeah, the opposite end of the ditch. Brian? We've got to close here in a bit. But. Sure, just something you brought up in Jimmy's 
So we got to be done. Um, yeah, we'll talk more about that as we continue. So let's pray, and, and we'll, we'll uh, get ready for worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this discussion. Lord, we're so thankful that justification and right standing with you is not dependent on us, because if it was, we would lose it. We would not earn it. It's fully on the work of Christ, and we're thankful that we can rest and trust him, receiving the, the merit that he's done for us. So Lord, help us to do that. And then out of love and gratitude, seek to live for him, serve him, being salt and light for his glory. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.